filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Caligiuri. What's going on, everybody? Hope you're all having a fantastic week and are ready to get into a brand new business book this week on Cut the Crap Podcast. Remember, everyone, our goal here is to read a business book every single week because I truly believe, and I hope you do as well too, that by reading a business book every single week, it's going to make you smarter. It's going to make you sharper. You're going to have more knowledge that you can put into practice in the workforce. I mean, that's what we're doing here. By the way, if you haven't signed up, sign up at bizbookaweek.com. And if you sign up there every single week, as I go through the analysis on Cut the Crap Podcast, I'll also send you a mind map outlining all of the golden nuggets. Why do I do that? Because it makes it easy for you to retain that knowledge. It's something that you can put on your desk. You can make notes on it. I'm a really big fan of having something physical in my hands when I do an analysis of a book. So I want to make sure that you guys have that as well too. So again, if I want it, then I want to make sure that you guys have it as well too. If I find it useful, I'm sure you'll find it useful as well. So sign up for that as well. And every single week you'll receive that uh, personal email from me. So let's get into it. This week, we're focusing on a really good book, a book that I was introduced to way back in the day from my dad. My dad, actually, when he found out that I was going to go into marketing, told me that I should read this book. And I don't know why he thought that. He might have have read a review somewhere. But this has been called the Bible for new technology, uh, new products that are coming into the market, Crossing the Chasm. And Crossing the Chasm was written by Jeffrey Moore. There was a multiple versions of this, actually. I think this was written back in uh, early 90s and then revised again in 2014. So I read it back in the 90s, and I reread it again, the new 2014 version, obviously, because technology changes over 20 years. And so I, some of the approaches and some of the philosophies in the book have also changed as well, too. So again, if you're new to Crossing the Chasm or if you've never heard about it before, Crossing the Chasm really is about helping organizations, helping people sell high-tech products to mainstream customers. That's why you're picking up this book. This is a book for a lot of marketers, for entrepreneurs, for CEOs who are looking for ways to break through and get to the mainstream market with their product. And in this day and age, I hate that term, this day and age. I use it anyways. I'm going to try to cut that from my vocabulary moving forward. But These days, there's a lot of companies out there that are selling software as a service products, SaaS, and they're coming up with brand new products all the time, and they're having a really difficult time getting it through. I mean, I can go through a list of just different companies that have approached me about being potential sponsors on the podcast or being potential clients or being a potential user of their product. There's so many different options out there and so little of them, so few are going to break through to the mainstream market. And I believe, truly believe that if they read the content in this book or if they got the golden nuggets that I share with all of you today, that they'll be in a much better position after this. I mean, in one hour, you might have a brand new approach to how you market or sell your product. Honestly, after one hour of listening to me talk and give you the golden nuggets, I almost can guarantee you it might change the way you look at things. I actually took eight golden nuggets from this book. And while that isn't that many, 
a lot of them sort of blended together. So if I say eight, don't make that seem like the book was really, you know, there wasn't a lot to share in the book. There was a lot in the book that, that I shared. But again, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to make it easy to communicate for you guys to digest. And so a lot of those nuggets, I really sort of brought them together to make it a little bit easier to share. So why don't we get into it? Golden nugget number one, understanding the chasm. The chasm is that large gap that exists in the technology adoption life cycle that separates the early market and the mainstream market. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit later on, but essentially the chasm is where a lot of products and companies die because they can't make the transition from being a product or a service or some sort of offering that the early market adopts that the mainstream market just doesn't want to adopt. And the early market is comprised of innovators and early adopters. The mainstream market is essentially your early majority and late majority. Now, this chasm exists because it's really, really hard to get the mainstream market to buy into an innovation for the same reasons that the early market does. They're two completely different people, two completely different philosophies, ideologies. They both buy into products for very different reasons. And I'll get into that a little bit later on. But because of these different worldviews that they both have, the references from the early market, the reasons why the early market buys, they don't hold any weight with the mainstream market because the mainstream market doesn't buy for the same reasons that the early market folks do. And so for companies who can't figure this out, for companies who aren't able to make that transition over the chasm, which is very complex, again, I'm going to go into that in a little bit, they fail. A lot of the times companies don't even get to the chasm. Let's just say that they, you know, right now we're talking about crossing the chasm. Hell, some companies have a really difficult time just getting people to buy into their product for crying out loud. If you're having a tough time doing that, let's just say, you know, you have a new product and you're having a tough time just getting anybody really interested in that. And there's a lot of people out there who have created a product where there hasn't been a lot of demand for it. Well, in this podcast, I'll share with you some golden nuggets on how you can change that as well too. But let's say that you have had uh, you know, a fairly good customer base, adopt your product, and now you're looking to bring it mainstream and you're saying, how the heck do I do that? In the following nuggets, I'm going to share with you what that is. But first, before we do, you have to understand the chasm. So remember, the chasm is the gap that exists, that separates the early, um, uh, sorry, the early market and the mainstream market. Golden nugget number two. Innovations, new products, new offerings are adopted in stages. Now, earlier I mentioned the technology adoption life cycle. The technology adoption life cycle comprises of five different groups. You have your innovators, your early adopters, your early majority, late majority, and the laggards. Those are the five groups that you will either be ignoring or focusing on. I'll tell you a little bit about ignoring in a little bit. But the first ones, the innovators, those make up half of your early market. The innovators, this group, essentially, they pursue technology aggressively because technology is a central interest in their life. I know a lot of you might know people who they just need the newest, latest gadget. They're attracted to it. They have to have it. They have to have it. You know, for them, they are, their whole life surrounds or, or their whole life revolves around having that new piece of technology, whatever it may be. These are your innovators. 
To them, getting the newest technologies is so important to them that they will often even buy into something knowing full well it could be filled with glitches, weaknesses, um, whatever it is, because the product is so new. But they're okay with that because that's a part of their identity. Those are your innovators. Those are the people at the very beginning of the technology adoption life cycle. Next on the technology adoption life cycle, you have the early adopters. Now, these folks are looking for what the new technology can bring to them. Competitive advantage. They're in it because they want a competitive edge. They buy into this new technology, this new product, because the innovators have already validated that there is indeed some benefit to the new technology. So before they buy into it, they need to see that the innovators have validated it. They look for social proof that says, yes, this is worth my money. And if we buy into it early enough, it's going to give us a competitive advantage in the marketplace. That's what those folks are after. And they need to see the innovators buy into it first before they get into it. So those two folks right there, those two groups, those folks make up the early market. Those folks are pre-chasm. Now, as we jump over the chasm and we move further up that technology adoption life cycle, we hit the early majority. Now, this group makes up one-third of the entire adoption life cycle. So winning their business is key to driving that hockey stick growth. Now, the early majority cares a great deal about the technology and the benefits it provides them. But even more so, they want to make sure that all the bugs have been worked out. So now once you keep moving up that curve, you have the late majority. Now, this group also makes up one-third of the life cycle, so they're also very important. And these folks, essentially, they're motivated by price and the fact that the technology has been well-established in the marketplace. So, hey, give me a solid technology at a great price, and I'm all in. That's your late majority. And finally, these are the folks that you might not care too much about. They're the laggards. And the laggards, this group is one that doesn't care for new technology for a variety of reasons. It could be, you know, their age, economic reasons, personal choices, whatever it is. It's really easy to ignore this group. And I know that a lot of people will say, yeah, you know, don't pay attention to the laggards. You know, they're not really our focus. I disagree. I think the laggards can provide you with great feedback on how your technology fails to meet their expectations. I'm a big fan of taking in different types of stimulus from different types of customers, you know, whether or not they're buyers or they're people that just have an opinion on it. But I'm a true believer in taking in stimulus and learning. And I do believe that the laggards could have something to provide to uh, product owners, to companies, and they might be able to generate some sort of stimulus that makes your product better. So I wouldn't necessarily cut them out completely. I mean, there is, there, yes, you're probably not going to make a sale with them, but you can still generate some good stimulus from them if you ask them questions and you might learn some things about your product that you might not have thought about before. So now that I've gone through the entire makeup of the different groups that make up the technology adoption life cycle, it's important to take away here that innovations, they're adopted in stages. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself is, how do you take yourself through those stages? How do you start traversing the technology adoption life cycle and then cross the chasm? That leads us to our next golden nugget. Golden nugget number three, how to cross the chasm. So to cross the chasm, a company has to create a customer base that is referenceable so the rest of the mainstream marketplace, prospects in the mainstream marketplace, can see that and then buy into it as a result. 
almost acting as a, as a piece of social proof for them. Now, the reason for this is that the mainstream market likes to use references as a way to make their decisions easier. So this is the goal that must be achieved to cross the chasm. You have to have a customer base that's willing to stand up and say, yes, we've used this. Yes, we realize this is well supported. And yes, we would recommend this for everybody else. That's your goal. When you want to cross the chasm, that's what you need. Now, in order to do that, you have to select a strategy that will have your company select a niche within the early majority that you can dominate. And the reason for wanting to dominate one core niche is it's so important. It's absolutely critical to you crossing the chasm. It's because you need to satisfy the needs of the mainstream market. The mainstream market demands a technology that's well-supported, well-referenced, and sold by a market leader. Those three points right there are massive. The mainstream market demands a technology that is well-supported, well-referenced, and sold by a market leader. So if your product isn't well-supported, they're not going to buy into it. If your product isn't well-referenced, they're not going to buy into it. And if you're not the clear market leader, there's no chance they're going to buy into it. Or you have very little chance they're going to buy into it. That's why it's so important for you to pick a specific niche and absolutely dominate it. Now, the challenge with developing a niche is in staying focused on this niche and not being tempted by all the shiny pennies out there that are distracting you and, and potentially uh, enticing you to build new revenue streams. I mean, that's the short-term play. Yes, you can build short-term revenue streams in the short term, but again, we're playing the long term here. So it's important for you to stay focused on your strategy and to be disciplined not to sell outside of that niche because at this stage, what you're trying to do is develop yourself, develop your product as a clear-cut market leader in a very specific space. That's what you're here to do. If you want to cross the chasm, that's what you need to do. Don't be distracted by the shiny pennies and the potential new revenue streams that present themselves. And I know that is the toughest thing because when you see money, it's difficult not to take it. But remember your overall strategy here. We're trying to cross the chasm. We're trying to become market leaders in a very specific space. And once we become market leaders and our, our product is well supported and we have great references from that market, that's when the rest of the market will be lit on fire. But we can't get there unless we become market leaders. So that's why it's really important for us to focus on a niche. Now, there's a really, really good story here that I want to tie in that I read in Crossing the Chasm, and it was a D-Day analogy. And for those of you who don't know D-Day, it was a, a very famous battle that happened uh, in uh, World War II um, in 1944. And, um, you know, very, very cool story. And I like analogies that really clarify things. And this was a really cool one. And so I, I wrote this one out, and I want to read this one to you guys because I really think that uh, it's going to help to maybe clarify a few things here when it comes to developing a strategy in order to cross the chasm. Now, before I read this out, it's a paragraph that really talks about what we're trying to do here. And I'm going to make uh, different references to D-Day that can really solidify it. If you're a history buff, you're going to see this and you're going to say, it makes sense. I see what, um, what, what, what we're trying to do here with regards to technology, with regards to a certain product. And I can see the resemblance to how the, uh, the allied forces stormed the beaches on D-Day. So here we go. Let's read this out here. 
Our long-term goal is to enter and take control of the mainstream market. That was Eisenhower's Europe. That is currently dominated by an entrenched competitor, the Axis. We must assemble an invasion force comprising of other products and companies, the Allies. Our immediate goal is to transition from an early market base, England, to a strategic target market segment in the mainstream, the beaches of Normandy. Separating us from our goal is the chasm, the English Channel. We're going to cross that chasm as fast as we can and focus directly and exclusively on the point of attack, D-Day. Once we force the competitor out of our targeted niche markets, securing the beachhead, then we will move out to take over additional market segments, districts of France, on the way toward overall market domination, the liberation of Europe. Now, to me, when I first read that, I thought that was so freaking cool because I just love the the analogy there with with D Day. I thought it was just brilliant, and you know, for I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I do have a fairly good knowledge of history. And you don't even need to have a good knowledge of history to really get how that makes sense and how you can see the approach to how you would dominate a market with a specific product and how an army dominated a specific force. So if we summarize that entire story, what does this analogy teach us? First, it teaches us that we need to target a very specific niche market, a beachhead, where you can dominate it. Two, force your competitors out of that niche. And three, use it as a base for expanding your market offerings to the mainstream. Pretty cool. I absolutely love that analogy, and I hope you guys love it as well, too. So again, to cross the chasm, what we must do is we need to focus on developing a customer base in the early majority by selecting a very specific niche, one that we can dominate. And the reason we're dominating this core niche is because we need to satisfy the mainstream market that demands a technology that is well-supported, well-referenced, and sold by a market leader. And we need to stay focused. We need to stay disciplined and not be distracted by other opportunities because our goal is becoming the market leader in this space. You want to cross the chasm? That's a critical piece to doing so. Golden nugget number four. Build a whole product before entering the mainstream market. Now, the mainstream market is very demanding. They don't like products or services that require them to hunt for additional products and services. They want a whole product or service. So in other words, they want to buy things that are well-supported. Now, when I think about a lot of organizations and a lot of companies these days that have a product, uh, a software as a service product, for example, and they bring it to market, the mainstream market isn't necessarily going to buy into all of that because your product isn't a whole product yet. Now, to crystallize this, I'm going to bring an example into it that I know very well, HubSpot. For anybody who doesn't know what HubSpot is, HubSpot's an inbound marketing platform that got started about 10 years ago, and it was a tool that marketers found extremely useful. Myself, being a marketer by trade, I used HubSpot and was an early adopter of the technology when it first came out. And for anyone who doesn't know what inbound marketing is, it's you know a, a combination of your blogging, your landing pages, your what do you want to call it, your search engine optimization, all of this rolled into one product. But that's not how it always was. 
they did not hit the mainstream until they developed a whole product, one that had great customer service backing it, multiple other product modules, and a great training program. See, HubSpot would not be the large company they are today, which, by the way, they're also a publicly traded company today, if it weren't for them developing a, a whole product. That's how important it is. And I see a lot of organizations out there that have, you know, whether it's a survey platform or a specific type of marketing product, but it's just a standalone. And as a standalone, the mainstream market looks at this and they say, well, is this going to be around in a few years? And can I put my investment behind this? You know, it's funny. This reminds me of that old IBM um, ideology. Well, it's not an IBM thing, but it's something that was said in, in the marketplace was that you never got fired for hiring IBM. Because IBM was well-supported. They were the market leader. And so that's what the mainstream market looks at. They don't want to go and buy into something that they're not sure is going to be around in a few years. And they're definitely not going to go ahead and buy into something that they believe they're going to have to get additional add-ons to in other areas. And I can think of very specifically a few companies out there where they do something very, very well. But it's a small piece to the puzzle. And unless they build in new pieces... They're really not going to go anywhere. And HubSpot was in that position many years ago where they did a few things very well. But as they continued to add on to their product, as they continued to add on new modules, as they continued to build up their customer service, their beautiful training programs, then it became much more of a whole product. There was more there that the mainstream market could get behind. And they felt safer. They felt more comfortable putting their money into it. And as a result... HubSpot achieved that hockey stick growth as they entered into the mainstream market and really dominated, and they continue to win today. So the lesson here is if you are in the marketplace right now, now if you truly believe you have something great there, what's potentially missing? Is there another product or another service that needs to be added on to it? What makes your product a whole product? What might you be missing that doesn't make it a whole product? And to think that, ask yourself the question, what else would my customers want to buy? Or what else is the marketplace demanding that we supply them? Is it consulting services? What is it? Whatever it is, you have to define what those missing elements are and add them in. That's how you create a whole product. And the mainstream market doesn't go for anything but whole products. All right, golden nugget number five. Now, as a marketing guy, I love this one. Why you need an elevator pitch. Now, you need to be able to explain your product in the time it takes you to ride an elevator. That's what the elevator pitch is. You see venture capitalists like this all the time. You know, for example, if you're watching a lot of TV, you'll see the guys on Dragon's Den or the folks on, um, on Shark Tank. They use this all the time as uh, an initial sniff test or a, a mental check mark in their mind that... Is this product something I can buy into? If it's easy to understand in your pitch and you're able to really communicate the value of it quite easily, it makes it a lot easier for somebody to buy into it. Whether it's a venture capitalist or a customer, if you can't describe what your product does and how it fulfills a need, how it solves a problem, how it defines a specific promise, how you can back up that promise, if you can't clearly define that, then you have a problem. Now, there's so many different ways to approach developing an elevator pitch. All you have to do is go to Google and type in how to develop an elevator pitch, and you're going to find a multitude of different videos and articles that will tell you how to do that. Now, I have a way that I really like. It's a very simple formula, and it's how many steps? It breaks it down essentially into six steps here. 
So let me run through this for you now by throwing in blanks. Maybe rewind it a couple times, write this down, and fill in the blanks with your own product and the own data, the only information that your product provides, okay? So product XYZ is for blank, target customers in your niche only, who are dissatisfied with blank, the current market alternative. Our product is a blank, define the new product category that provides blank. And that's where you want to insert, you know, some of the problems that you guys solve. Unlike blank, and you want to provide maybe a few product alternatives, we have assembled, and that's where you give them the whole product features for your specific application. So there you have it. There's a really quick formula in terms of how you can develop an elevator pitch. Product service XYZ is for blank, who are dissatisfied with blank. Our product is a blank that provides key blank. Unlike blank, we have assembled key blank. There's a really good model for it. Now, like I said, you don't have to necessarily use that model. This is just one out of many different approaches to an elevator pitch. There is no right or wrong answer in terms of how you do it. Essentially, a really big piece to an elevator pitch is ensure that what you're doing is giving clarity to the people on the other end. So why don't you test it out? Test it out with prospects, test it out with customers of yours, ask for feedback from other employees in, the, uh, uh, in your office, ask just people like your parents, like your family members, ask them if it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, maybe go back and recraft it. An elevator pitch is an art. It takes some time to go through, develop it, develop something that drives a lot of clarity, but essentially that's what you're trying to get to, a point of clarity. That's one formula you can use to your advantage. Like I said, if you don't want to use that formula, it's all good. But the point to take away here, though, is that you need an elevator pitch if you're going to take your product across the chasm. If you're going to cross the chasm, you need to make sure that you are able to explain what it is you do and the value your product provides in a very clear manner. If you can't do that, good luck. It all comes down to communication. So if people don't understand what you do, if they feel overly confused by what you do, then chances are they're not going to buy into it and you're not going to have an idea that spreads. It has to be very easy to understand. And you might want to go back to a few episodes ago when we talked about The Dip by Seth Godin. Again, The Dip, we talked a lot about you know the, uh, the, the, the law of diffusion curve and The Dip as well too, but um, The Dip or Purple Cow as well too, another great book by Seth Godin. And The Purple Cow talking about how to communicate what your remarkable innovation is. So if you want to go back to that episode and listen to that one, we talk a little bit more about how to define what it is you do in a very clear manner as well. All right, golden nugget number six how to distribute your innovation. Now, this is a really big one and I'm gonna to try to go through as fast as possible. I'm not gonna to get too detailed into the different types of distribution channels, only because it's such a really big topic. And if you wanna learn more about it, then you can dig deeper into this specific golden nugget as it is and uh, do a little bit more research. And I would highly recommend you do that if you are interested in further pursuing more information about these specific distribution channels. So uh, first things first, choosing a distribution channel is absolutely paramount. It's, it's so critical in how you connect your product with your particular niche. And there's, like I said, there's multiple different types of um, distribution channels you have at your disposal. But something to keep in mind first is that direct sales, in most cases, is the best channel for crossing the chasm and for really getting your product into the mainstream market. 
Now, direct sales is important because it drives demand, it builds relationships, and it penetrates the initial target segment. Often, you'll have people who are really passionate about the product inside the company that want to bring that out to the customer. And that passion, how they sell it, is so important. And so you need to have those people directly having having those direct face-to-face conversations with the marketplace. And it's those people, it's through all that hand-to-hand combat, a lot of that fighting in the trenches that needs to happen in order to take a product through the technology adoption lifecycle that take it from the innovators into the early adopters, into the early majority. So once you've gone through, you've leveraged direct sales, and let's say you've become the market leader, at that point in time, it could be a really great time to transition from selling direct to utilizing one of the many distribution channels that you feel could be of value to your organization and uh, uh, you know, something profitable for your operations. So like I said, I'm not going to get too deep into these right now. I mean, that's not the goal of this podcast. It's not to give you an in-depth view into all the distribution channels and talk to you about how they could work. Like I said, if you want to know more about them, you can do further research into them. But my whole goal here is just to sort of introduce you to them at a very high level. So I'll go through the distribution channels. There's essentially seven of them that I want to share with you. So the first one is retail sales. Now, retail sales is a really great channel when its job is to fulfill demand and not create it. It's not retail sales job to create the demand. They're only there to fulfill it. Next, direct response advertising. Now, direct response advertising supports the promotion of a trial version of your product that can be directly bought or or engaged on by um, uh, potential customers. So I see a lot of people on social media or on Google Ads, for example, and if you click on a lot of those, you might get 30-day trials, a 15-day trial, for example, and it's a great way to get people using your product. Next, telesales. Telesales consists of trained customer service personnel that help customers make a buying decision, answers the questions they have about it, and really essentially helps guide them in the process of, of understanding your product and how it could fit into their, uh, their organization. Now, from firsthand experience, I know that there's a lot of people out there that love the idea of hiring people, hiring telesales experts to sell their product. I'm not a big fan of that for the reason that I mentioned earlier and that you have to have a lot of passion behind what it is you're doing. Oftentimes, it's the founder, the product developer, the people who are in the organization that are so passionate, that have a vision, that see a better world, and want to bring their product forward to the marketplace because they believe so much in it. It's really tough to get that passion through when you're providing a script to a a telesales expert. Come on. I mean, I don't care how good that expert is. It's really not going to help get that message across. You need to have somebody sitting there in front of you, eye-to-eye, face-to-face, bringing you into the process. And by you, I mean the customer into the process and, and teaching them, convincing them, compelling them to a better world. And that's essentially what the job of the founder is. And so that's why direct sales is so important. I wouldn't bring in telesales people until you actually became the market leader and you had a lot of referenceable clients. Your product was well supported. And again, like I said, you were the market leader at that point in time. So maybe with enough momentum, telesales can fill that in. So don't skimp out. Don't get lazy. You got to go out and you got to do it yourself. Don't farm it out to somebody else. All right, the next one, VARs, value-added resellers. Now, these folks are resellers that tend to be dominated by problem solvers. Now, what VARs do is they add features or services to an existing product, then resells it 
as an integrated product or complete turnkey solution. Now, this occurs commonly in the electronics industry where, for example, a VAR might bundle a software application with supported hardware. The added value can really come from professional services such as integrating, customizing, consulting, training, implementation, etc. Next, systems integrators. Systems integrators focus on bringing together products that match the customer's need with existing products to generate a greater benefit. Next, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. Now, what OEMs do is um, they're a company that has a relationship with the original manufacturer to resell that manufacturer's product under its own name and branding. And finally, the internet. Now, the internet is obviously a channel at your disposal, but the internet can be very ineffective because to cross the chasm, it requires face-to-face meetings with your target customers, like I said. And so a lot of folks like to sell their, their, their products over the internet. The internet should absolutely still be a part of your, your marketing mix, but essentially if you're using the internet to try and generate sales to take you across the chasm to help you achieve you know, the growth you're looking for, it's a little bit too early for that. I got to go back and I got to say direct sales is the best way to drive the sale of your product. So if you have a new product out there, direct sales, that's your key to success. Not all these distribution channels. Start to explore these distribution channels once you become a market leader and you have a lot of momentum in the marketplace. Once you get to that point in time, then these distribution channels can be explored and you can sort of see which one sort of fits into your organization to help you achieve a new level of growth. Golden nugget number seven. The B2B chasm is easier to traverse than the B2C chasm. So if you have a product and you're selling it business to business, that's going to be a much easier chasm to cross than if you're bringing something to a consumer base. Now, there are a lot of organizations out there that are developing apps, applications for the iPhone, for the Android, for you know Windows mobile phone, whatever it is, and they're trying to bring it to the consumer. That is far more difficult than bringing it to a business. And making that realization early on can save a hell of a lot of money and a hell of a lot of time. And I know specifically out there, I've talked to a lot of organizations and have seen a lot of folks developing apps that they want to bring forward to the consumer. Oh man, it's best to take your uh, different approach, change your strategy, and focus on bringing that forward to a business or to to businesses in particular. Now, the most successful chasm crossings they occur in the B two B market because businesses they just usually have the economic and technical resources to adopt new products, while the consumers essentially don't. Now, crossing the chasm in consumer markets is also more difficult because it can be difficult to narrow in on a niche and have the funding that gives you enough velocity to get through to the mainstream market. I mean, the consumer market is so crowded with so much noise that it's going to take a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of focus and intensity to get you through all that noise. In the B2B market, it's a little bit easier to focus in on your, uh, your specific target. So the reason why I shared this one and I pulled this nugget out was because I know, like I said, I know a lot of organizations out there that have specific products they want to bring forward to the consumer base when in a lot of cases, their lives would be so much easier if they changed their strategy and instead of focusing on the consumer, focused on businesses instead. 
this wouldn't necessarily change their product all that much. In fact, it might help them. It would help their marketing. It would help their sales. It would help their budgets, that's for sure. And it would most certainly help their bottom line. So it's just something to consider that if you're bringing a product to the market right now and your market is essentially consumers, what would go into the business-to-business approach do for you? How would that help you? Is it worth exploring? I know in a lot of cases, it 100% is. I don't know about you, but if it's an opportunity, it's maybe worth exploring. All right, last but certainly not least, golden nugget number eight. Know what your goal is pre and post chasm. So the purpose of the post chasm business is to make money. Very simply, once you cross the chasm and are into the mainstream, you need to focus solely on making more money. Now, if you're a pre-chasm basis, you might be listening to me right now and saying, come on, Ryan, everyone's goal is to make money. Is my goal not to make money right now? Of course it is. I'm trying to get rich. I'm trying to make money off this. I'm trying to make a profit. I'm trying to make money. I would say that you need to change your focus a little bit. It's really important for companies that are pre-chasm to understand that you do not share the same purpose as post-chasm companies. The purpose of a pre-chasm business is to prove there is customer demand. You have to prove there's customer demand before you can take the next step. Yes, you'll make money in the process, but your ultimate goal every day is to prove that there is a market demand for what you offer. And that's all about building referenceable clients, developing a a well-supported product. That's what your goal is, developing a whole product. Show that there's demand. And once you've proven there's demand, That's how you can take the next step into the mainstream market. So it's a small differentiating factor here, but the reason why I pulled this one out, very simply, once again, I see a lot of companies out there that are trying so hard to make money. And again, let's not kid ourselves here. Every day we go into business and it's about making and saving money. I know that. But remember what your high-level goal is. Your high-level goal, your focus, what your attention should be on is demonstrating there's customer demand. And guess what? In a lot of cases, there isn't demand for your product. And if there's no demand for your product, you need to stop what you're selling and pivot and do something else. But the problem is, in the blind devotion, in the blind focus on trying to make money, that's all you're trying to do. We need to make money. We need to make money. We need to make money. No, 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 no. If you have a new product, you have to prove that there's demand for this. And if there's demand, you'll see that and money will be a result. Your goal is to prove there's demand. And if there's no demand, you need to cut bait. You need to cut bait and you need to move on. Now, again, this goes back to a podcast where we covered on uh, the dip, where the dip, are you willing to go through that dip to get to the, the, um, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? You need to know when to cut bait. You need to know when you've hit a cul-de-sac. Again, that's a nice little analogy from, um, from uh, the dip there. I think that was about two or three episodes ago. You can go back and listen to that as well too. And it might help you make some better decisions around when to quit on a specific product. I think that's a great compliment to this last point here. Now remember, the goal of the pre-chasm business is to prove there's market demand. The goal of the post-chasm business is to make more money. And there we have it, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Now let me summarize all this into a nice little nutshell for you. For a company that sells a high-tech product to achieve mainstream market success, they need to cross the chasm from the early markets 
to mainstream markets. Now, in order to do that, these companies need to focus on finding a single niche where they can focus their energies, their finances, their resources, etc., as they completely fulfill this niche's needs. By doing this, they'll put themselves in the best position possible to become a market leader that enables them to cross the chasm. Boom. Nice, clean way to wrap up this episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, again, on Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. When I go through the summary on that, I really feel that the golden nuggets from there captured the essence of what the book is about. I hope that as you go through and you listen to this, I hope that you go through it and listen to it again and take some serious notes on this, especially if you're bringing a product to market. I've had so many experiences with different companies that are bringing you know, uh, different SaaS products to market. If they had just listened to some of the golden nuggets from this, it could save them a lot of pain in the future. And if you know of anybody who's bringing a product to market, tell them about this podcast episode and share with them some of the golden nuggets that you listened to today because I know for sure that it can definitely help a lot of folks out there. Guys, thank you again so much for joining me. Remember to stay on the habit of reading a biz book a week. I'm here every single week bringing a brand new biz book to you guys. Share with everybody else on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on whatever it is you're using, with Instagram, Pinterest, whatever it is. Hashtag biz book a week. Let me know what you thought about the podcast. I'm always here for comment, for debate. Let me know if you guys have any other thoughts. If you've read the book and feel I missed something, hey, let me know. I'm always up for some good debate, for some good conversation, you guys. I will see you next week with a brand new podcast and a brand new book, everybody. We'll talk to you then.